Dear ladies and gentlemen, and we're back. It's Meet the Revolution again. It's the, uh, uh, the <laughs> which episode is it now? It's the 16th already. So uh, it's been a while since uh, since we were on, but due to some challenging uh, judicial, um, uh, interesting times, let's say, but we're back and we're able to upload all of our content and, uh, and the next one is going to be absolutely fantastic. He's my bro. He's my mate. Uh, it's Saro Paparian. I don't have the habit of introducing someone. So uh, Sarojan, go for it, mate. Introduce myself. Wow. Um, I'm just an Armenian dude who uh, really likes Armenian music, poetry. Um, I'm in a band out here in L.A., and I just try to work on my craft, you know, it's the best I got for you. He's being too shy, of course. He has uh, done a lot of work. He's done a lot of uh, interesting things that uh, might have caught your attention. For instance, you guys do the uh, Pararbar sessions with, uh, with Sartong. And um, I think I already told you, but your last one actually inspired my next tattoo. So... Uh, it's uh, it's it's absolutely gorgeous, and I recommend everyone to uh, to check that out. And of course, the band uh, that um, uh, that you're in. So, for the sake of not making this into an interview, you know, uh, we're, right? <laughs> we're, we're a podcast. Well, you mentioned the band, but shout out to my bandmate Chavo. Um, so the band's North Kingsley. I think if he hears this, I'm like, oh, I didn't, I didn't even mention the band name. Um, so North Kingsley, uh, my bandmate is the, uh, the legendary Shavo Dajian, uh, from, uh, from system of a down who has become a friend, brother, and a mentor. And he's been a big part of the way I think about Armenian culture and con the content within it, you know, the content that has two feet in both Western American culture. And, you know, we're still Armenians working on this stuff. So big shout out to my my big brother there, you know, and uh, you mentioned, you mentioned Pararbar, which is, um, Pararbar is a series under Zartunk. Uh, Zartunk, everyone knows the, you know, it's the, it's become the number one kind of news platform for the Armenian community, especially English language speaking Armenian community. And Zartunk has this big aspiration, which aligns a lot with what I want to do with Armenian content and Pararbad is essentially a result of that. So you now I'm the creative director for Pararbad and future special projects and creative projects that we're going to be doing together. You know, really great guys. I know you've interviewed them on here too. So Yeah, they have some amazing plans, man. And um, uh, you fit nicely in, 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 in that uh, content creation world because uh, not only do you have I know you've heard this before, but not only do you have do you make amazing music, but you have such a good voice, mate. It's it's so soothing. The uh, the pararbar thing. Um, it's, it's most of the time it's the voice that you know just it's just mesmerizing. Shout out to the Zarton guys as well. They're they're doing amazing. That that's not actually what we we were going to talk about, right? I mean, right. the way uh, you and I uh, got to know each other was, uh, was actually through, uh, through Twitter and Clubhouse a bit, right? We saw how communication and miscommunication actually happened uh, among the Armenians. And uh, 
and 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 the, the important role that you played uh, in in this in this communication was that you have the excellent capabilities of uh, of a moderator and you've uh, you've moderated many co uh, conversations you've moderated many uh, uh, discussions which is why i deem you uh, well uh, more or less an expert into uh, you know engaging two maybe totally different armenians uh, making them engage in, in value, uh, valuable conversations. So um, you know much better than I do that the, the, the Armenian people have been, they have been polarized, especially during the last couple of, uh, couple of years. It looks like we've been losing the will to communicate. We've seen that in real life as well, right? How and when are we going to fix all of that? It's a difficult question to answer but it's, it's one of the most important questions that we have to ask about how we're going to fix this and when will it be fixed. You know, during the war, we saw what seemed to be unity across the board within the Armenian nation. And when I say Armenian nation, I think it's important to define this. I mean, you've heard me do this often. When we say Armenian nation, what is that? It's the homeland. It's Artsakh. So when we say Armenia, it's the homeland. It's Artsakh and it's the diaspora. These are the three pillars of the Armenian nation. And Nigo Pashinyan signs this capitulation agreement. And what we see is the unity within the community just automatically breaks down. And I don't think that that's by accident. Perhaps it's by design because it's unity that, was, that didn't have the proper foundation built into it. Right. And I think that that is in part because we were a polarized people already. So it's not that we became, it's not like we suddenly became polarized in the last year. I think this is something that's been following us around for, you know, let's say 30 years. And it's just been building up. And there's a number of reasons why that happened, of course. I think a big part of it is, uh, the, the media that we consume, I think it's, it's not like, you know, it's not like we're dealing with Armenians that are dishonest when you're disagreeing with somebody, right? And you're talking about just base level facts. And a, an example of this is corruption. It's not as if you're speaking to somebody that is being dishonest or disingenuous about what they know about corruption in Armenia that, you know, all these prime ministers and leaders stole my house and my property and they stole billions that they have an island. This person isn't lying to you. This person is misinformed. And this person is your brother. And this is a part of your tribe. Um, but I think even then, see, this is where it gets really complex because even that understanding that this is a member of my village and my tribe and my community, that's not even something that we're agreeing on, right? Um, so when is this going to be fixed? I don't know. Sooner rather than later, but we have to start trying for now. And this is how we met, right? And this is how we started talking was in these long form discussions and conversations where we're really trying to sift through the misinformation that we're dealing with. I think that the polarization came out of the woodwork in the same way that the misinformation came out of the woodwork. Like we didn't know how serious that problem was. And it might be because we weren't reflecting properly as a community. And just to reiter 
repeat myself, I don't know if we even considered ourselves a community. Because I can tell you the Armenian nation is Armenia, Artsakh, and the diaspora. A coalition of youth groups in Artsakh can sign a declaration, 30 some odd groups, saying that we actually agree on that idea, that this is what the Armenian nation is. But you're going to find people in high positions of, of authority, and whether it's in government, it's in media, culture, in the homeland, in the diaspora in Artsakh that would disagree with that. They would say, well, the diaspora is a component of or an offshoot of Armenia, but the Armenian nation and decision-making happens within the isolated borders of Armenia. And this is where it's like a Pandora's box, right? Because I just said that the borders of Armenia, what are those borders? You know, and I'm, I'm using this long way of saying we as a people don't have a national agenda and we as a people don't have a national set of values to rally around. And when you don't have that, your people, you become polarized and people become victim to all these, you know, misinformation, disinformation. Uh, they become victim to straying away or becoming disillusioned by to the Ar Armenian cause. I see that very much in the, in, in the way we were communicating right before the war and as well as after the war. The ideas that we've always had uh, of Armenia, it has to do with uh, critical thinking. We have this tendency of, of, uh, of either uh, seeing, seeing everything as, um, as this great, you know, infallible concept or we completely demonize something and make it, you know, it, it make it worthless to us. And you said these people are our brothers, right? But, so, but right now, we don't hate as the, uh, we don't hate the actual enemy as much as we hate some of the uh, layer of society. However painful this is, it's, it's really based on not knowing each other as well or not talking to each other, right? I've noticed something that has been recurring quite often. The people who consume, who consume opposition media never listen to what the other side says, right? And the same way around. So we live in complete bubbles. There is no actual platform. I mean, social media was going to be that platform where we could have, you know, we could have come together from everywhere and, and, and talk to each other. But even our social media is... <laughs> I guess, polarized. Where is it that we are going to meet these people and have honest conversations? When is this uh, going to happen? We, we miss that honest conversation. And, and still, we, we, in my opinion, we don't need to com convince each other of, of our truths, right? We at least have to make an effort to not hate each other, right? To at least respect each other, even though not believing what the other one says. The, the thing is, social media was meant to be this platform that and the internet in general was meant to be this thing that was going to, you know, cut through uh, and inform the masses, make information and knowledge readily available. And that actually did happen. I mean, that information is there. But the thing about Facebook, and we see this in the United States, by design, it seems like it's meant to polarize people and keep and push them into their echo chambers because it's gamified. And it's a casino game, you know, so you're going to 
you're going to see people becoming radicalized or becoming absolutists in their opinion because they're motivated to do that by the platform. This is something that we've, the United States is contending with for now the better part of four or five years. If the greatest, I'm an American, so I apologize for this, but the, you know, but if the greatest and the wealthiest nation in the world, this is what I've been um, programmed to think. <laughs> yeah, I was indoctrinated into this, the, the son of a, a, and grandson of Marines. I can't help but walk around saying that kind of stuff. But if, the, if a country like the United States, who is the, in terms of culture, the dominant force and, and authority and culture around the world, if they fell victim, if we as Americans fell victim to what social media does uh, and, and turns people tribal, what it's our fault five years ago for not thinking about how this is going to affect us as Armenians, especially us as Armenians who, let's say, two and a half million within uh, homeland and something like six to seven million, although I'm sure those numbers aren't accurate around the world. I mean, how, did, how are we not gonna fall victim to this? To your question about what is the space then? Well, it, it has to be what already exists. I mean, platforms like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, now something like Clubhouse, we need to, be conscious of what these platforms reward and we have to create our space within them and reward a different type of thinking. And now how we do that, I don't have the, the quick answer to it except by holding that value set and trying to do it myself. And I think there's a number of us that are trying to do that, you know, and that also gets reflected in the media that we create, the content that we create with on those platforms, because we're putting that out on those platforms. Yeah, I mean, we, we all reverted back to some, some pure form of consumerism, right? On YouTube, uh, when you see something, you get all these recommendations, right? Oh, you like this? Oh, so, so there's more, more of that. They hit you in the face. If, if, you, if you look at one, let's say, pro-government video, you get more of that. It's this constant flow of, of the same type of in, uh, information. This is why we get polarized. This is why we, uh, like you said, we're in those echo chambers and we can't get out. Because the next day, uh, if you log in, it's the same type of information. They, they even uh, hook you up with the same type of people. Uh, it, it's deafening. It's, uh, it's weird. And communication becomes only harder and, 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 and more tiresome. We, we stray so much farther from the truth that we or someone else needs to convince, needs to put so much more effort and energy in actually uh, getting across uh, the truth or the or some other message for that matter. It's tiring. It's not the way people uh, or communication should work. Communication is designed to make each other understand. And all we do is uh, take away the noise instead of trying to actually understand stuff. It's, it's weird. It's crazy. We live in crazy times. Well, you know, it's, it's and, and again, it's, it's not just the platforms to blame, right? I mean, this was happening before Armenians got on social media. So this goes back genuinely do think, and I might be wrong, but I genuinely do think that this goes back 30, 40, 50 years. And to your point about it takes, it, it takes time and patience to undo these mistakes that we're seeing within our dialogue, 
not having an agenda that Armenians all agree on. It's not that we have to wholesale agree on it, but you know, base elements that we can, we can agree with. That's a mistake. And you have to un undoing something that's been happening for 30 years takes a lot of time. We are facing as a nation, a complex set of issues. And it's in every sphere of our lives. The truth that was revealed as a result of the war and the signing of the capitulation agreement was the gravity and the, the totality of this problem, how difficult this thing is that we're, we're facing, because it's, it's in the way that we communicate. It's in the way that we think about what our nation, it's, it, it's the, it's the content that we value. And when I say content, I mean, it's the music that we value as a people. What is it that we're putting our weight and our resources behind? Social media aggravates that and it pushes it to the extreme and it makes it a little more difficult, but this also is the way that we can potentially undo it. You mentioned music. I've seen these interesting um, uh, things that when music gets po uh, politicized, for instance, you remember Sirusho, who had yep. these amazing uh, documentaries about the Armenian communities, communities around the world. And they started uh, canceling her because she was, you know, she, uh, you know, who her father-in-law was, and uh, that's why she can't be, uh, she needs to be cancelled. This is a uh, thing that I always thought to be true, that music can be, for instance, a catalyst or, uh, or something that brings people together. Uh, now, all of a sudden, uh, and maybe due to social media as well, this is starting to get politicized as well, and also even becoming polarizing in one way or another. It's, um, and, it, and it baffles me that some awesome person like Sirusho can be cancelled just because people disagree with her and uh, with a number of things. Yeah. And we see this, um, we see this on both, both sides. I mean, there's uh, conversations and attempts and calls to cancel somebody like Sirusho. And there's also calls to cancel somebody like Serge Tankian. I don't know how opposed they are in beliefs, those two, but just as two examples, what I've seen a lot of is let's get rid of Sirusho wholesale. Let's get a get rid of Serge Tankian wholesale. Before writing, we had music as a way to tell stories. Music as a way to get people to reflect. There's an art, you know, there's an artist uh, we have within the Armenian diaspora, his name is Vahad Bedbedian. And I remember hearing him say once that music at its best is a reflection against its society. I want to see musicians that are of different backgrounds and political beliefs. And I want to hear the music that they create and if it's good, listen to it. If a musician went out and, and murdered somebody, I, would, I can see an argument to, to cancel them out of the, the public space. But, and maybe this is the musicians that do this. Musicians can start to talk about and actively talk about, we can disagree with each other on all these points, but our culture is kind of a rallying point. And I know this isn't necessarily the most articulate way of, of explaining it, but we... We really are nothing without our cultural figures. And I can bring up Bayer Sevag, Hovane Shiraz, Kevork Emin. I can go further and I can bring up Siamanta. You know, I can look at, we can look at the works of Gomidas, look at Levon Shant's writing, Rafi's writing. I bet you this is a wide spectrum of political beliefs, but there's a couple of things that they agreed on. There is a real value on, uh, placed on what it means to be an Armenian and figuring out what that means. And I think that musicians at the top of the game, like Sirusho and Serge Tankian, for example, and System of Down and 
there's Bombied in this, there's Mikhail Voskanyan. I mean, it's, it, this is, it's not just those two. I mean, across the Armenian, contemporary Armenian music world, these are really valuable artists. Some of them I know personally, but also just looking at the work and the content that, that they create, there's an obvious value that they've placed on the Armenian culture. And it's, and it's an authentic approach. You know, they're, they're really just presenting and working through what it means to be an Armenian. You can hear that in their work. You know, and, and you go to Yerevan, you know, I was teaching kids there and I was, I was actively involved in, in the music scene there. I can't tell you how many of it. I mean, it's, you can go to a, a, a music studio and working on a track, you can find yourself an anarchist, a, a communist, and a Tashnart Sagan. But if, if the music is good, that's a rallying point. And I think if we do more of that and put our resources, we really like invest in music like that. I think it's going to reverberate and echo out into the rest of the community because that then becomes content that's reflective of the community collaboration really. And you saw that in the music scene. I mean, uh, this is something that we're, I'm hoping, you know, through my work and some of my compatriots work, we're, we're trying to make Armenian music, contemporary Armenian music more readily available to Armenians around the world. No one's asking me, what are your beliefs on finance or economics? We're a couple of Armenians enjoying our culture. And this isn't Robbie's music and it isn't techno music or anything like that. I mean, my former students, you know, they're after the war. You know, unfortunately, some of my students uh, gave their lives in defense of Aksak. But I'm sitting and having a conversation with my boys. And I had this, I remember having this moment. I'm, I'm looking around and I see... Like I said a second ago, when, when you, you look at different backgrounds in the studio making music, we're sitting around talking about hip hop and music events, uh, what new types of weird track ideas we have. And I'm looking around this, this table and I see essentially one of my students is a, a Negol, I guess in harsh terms, you would call him a Negol apologist. And you got in harsh terms that you see online, an uber nationalist. In harsh terms, another one is just like super apathetic, like we're just sitting there talking, like, you know, and you can ident label these kids, each one with the harshest term possible, which is what we do online and unfortunately sometimes face to face. But when you're sitting and creating with them and talking to them about culture, you're realizing that these are just good kids and they all want the same thing. You know, they want to see themselves reflected in their work and they want to see their experience reflected in their work. And that experience is the experience of being a young Armenian kid growing up at this time who has seen their friends go to war, who has seen, but prior to that had this immense hope in the 2018 revolution. And there's also this idea of like, well, where are we going now and what's going to happen to our country? I think these are something that we're all dealing with. All of us, once you sit down and talk to these people about something like culture, specifically Armenian culture and, and Armenian poetry. I mean, this is part of the value, I think, of, of pursuing a pot of bottom and making that a reality is, look, we can rally around this. And there's enough to go about, right? I mean, we have tons and tons of uh, lovely Armenian poetry, lovely Armenian music. And, uh, and even more so, we have a great ton of potential to make these new kinds of contemporary 
uh, awesome Armenian music, which everyone can like. Okay, um, that's that's a lot to unpack there, uh, Saro. I mean, um... I'm so sorry for <laughs> running off like that, man. No, I mean, I can, I, I can think of ways that people can politicize that overall, right? I mean, what it means to be Armenian can mean so many things right now, especially that we, we allow Armenianism to be, to be um, messed with. We've put our identity out there and we've let everyone have their own opinion about it. And to this day, our issues probably come out of that very debate of what actually Armenians or what yes. Armenian is. I, I, I may be naive, but I thought that the the, the whole difference between Hayastansi, Suryatsi, Akbarj, Barskahai, you know, that those differences had had become very vague. Uh, started to come something some something of the not so distant past. But apparently, my mum today had a very um, odd experience in in that regard. There was some sort of discrimination again. And then um, we seem we seem to come back to constantly people trying to tell us, everyone's trying to tell uh, every other Armenian how to be an Armenian. And so many problems stem from that. Uh, right now, we have the issue of people telling us that, no, the Armenian is a globalist. The Armenian is a, uh, let's say, someone who uh, who's open, who's tolerant to everything and, uh, and everyone. And we may need open borders. Uh, whereas others, no surprise, like me, uh, tell the exact opposite. And that still seems to be a very, very difficult part of the Armenian people, uh, especially in, in, in terms of debate, because eventually <laughs> when, we, when we get into that conversation, it always, it always uh, uh, gets weird, gets odd, tiresome. You remember when we met on Clubhouse, right? I was really amazed by how well people started understanding each other because we went away from the Facebook comments, you know, where someone writes and you write something back and it gets mean uh, very early on. And then on Clubhouse, when, when there's verbal conversation, like real, uh, real people talking, there was some sort of respect. But now I see that, I see that going back to, you know, that, that becoming dirty again. We, we have to reinvent this way of, of, of talking to each other constantly because otherwise we'll, we'll get stuck in that, uh, in our uh, selfish or, uh, or egocentric uh, approach to, to what an Armenian actually is or what an Armenian must do to be Armenian. It's just the, it's just the, the reality that we're dealing with that this is a conversation that, and an issue that keeps coming up, especially when we as a nation, it seems like, moved away from the idea of community and toward, and we inherited the idea of individualism from the West. It starts, there's that. And there's also forgetting that our differences and our unique characteristics as a transnational people is what gives us strength. And that's something that we need to continue to repeat. And I, there are Armenians around the world that I've never met in person, but that I communicate with all the time. And we have consensus on this point that your personal background and your experience matters. And it brings, and you, you bring that into, the, into our home, the Armenian, global Armenian home, and you're gonna make that home stronger. And you know, when we start talking about differences and discriminating against, let's say, a Barskahai, a Libanonahai, Beirutahai, a Sudiahai, a Hayastansi, where when you do that, it hurts me to see that because it, 
it's like you're well you're discounting the reason why we're like that in the first place we're like that in the first place because of the trauma that we experience and when my family fled to the united states in 1907 my family's not the only one that fled to a different nation a, a, a different country or different parts of the world and 100 years later i'm a mixed armenian who didn't speak armenian that well until the age of 18 19 you know, and there are Armenians around the world like this. And we have to look at them as that experience, the, the positive and difficult, painful part of that experience for the individual of being plucked from your home and knowing that you were plucked from it. And then fast forward, you're seeing it happen again to, the, to our uh, brothers and sisters in Artsakh. You have to look at that and say that this is something of value. And it's going to teach us a lot and it's only, but it's only going to teach us something if we have a conversation with everyone. Well, you were repat at least uh, not, not at the very moment, but you've uh, lived the most important years of your life, right? Uh, in the heart of the uh, Armenian world uh, in Yerevan. For the most part in, in Yerevan, uh, although these days I consider Kasach and Zorakbir as my home, you know, Kasach being where my family by blood lives and Zorakbir Jirvej being where my family of choice is. And that's uh, my brothers with the Bombir, the Armenia Vibes tribe, the musicians, the artists, you know, that's the two spots where my fondest memories are and, and where I really developed a sense of who I am and what it is that I need to do in life. And that's, I think I cut off your question. No, sentence, I think. no but, but that's, that's a powerful bit of, of self consciousness. I think yeah. actually knowing what you want in life or where you're heading for, that's something uh, very valuable. Uh, I believe I know that too, but until I actually knew uh, what would happen, um, where I was uh, heading for, what I wanted from life, not knowing was, was, was a bit of a struggle. Not knowing was sometimes depressive, you know. But thank God I, uh, I know now and, and, and I know how valuable it is. But yeah, the question was actually going to be how are we going to engage people? How are we going to, what do we need to change uh, to create a massive interest in, uh, in, in uh, repatriation? <laughs> Getting people to go back to Armenia and, and understand what, what, what life is all about. Well, answering that question, and it's a complex one. And in short, I think it's, we're not there yet to have this kind of, I've been hearing a lot of, Armenians need to repatriate now. You need to go to Armenia now and move there now. That's easy to say. It's, it's really difficult, though, to communicate the benefit and the value in doing that and making people helping people believe that that's the, the route that they have to take and believing that Armenia is and being in a communion with Armenia is how every Armenian needs to live their lives. And we have to do a lot of foundational work for that. So, you know, I'll, I'll tell it to you like this. On my paternal side, I'm a fourth generation Armenian American, which means that my father doesn't speak Armenian and my grandfather doesn't speak Armenian. My father though, 
raised me with a certain set of values of this is what it means to be an Armenian. I would spend a lot of time with my mother's side of the family growing up. And that side of the family, actually, my uncle and my cousins, who are little brothers to me, repatriated to Armenia. I think I think we can call it in modern Armenian history kind of the first phase or phase 1.5 of repatriation. I mean, this is the early 2000s that this happened. And that gave to me an example to aspire to. But I, I was dealing with the, am I an Armenian? Is this, you know, what place do I have in Armenia? This is just some foreign country to me because everything I know is American. You know, I think in English, the content that I, I consume is, is American. Um, but I mean, long story short, when, when I moved to Armenia in, you know, it's well over a decade now. I mean, it was three days after I graduated university on May 28th. I made a point of landing in Armenia on May 28th to give you a little bit of a uh, cue into my, <laughs> my ideology there. But when I got there, I remember initially being within a year and a half to two years, I, I remember being kind of resentful towards the diaspora. And I remember thinking, how so? Well, I, I would always, and, and this was the naive youth in me, I perhaps, or, or maybe the, uh, the confidence afforded to me by being, quote unquote, uh, you know, doing the heroic thing and moving to Armenia. But really, it was just, you know, I, I just changed where I was living effectively in simple terms. But, it, you know, it's, you deal with a lot of problems there. But I remember, anyways, I remember being resentful to the diaspora in the sense of, I, I used to think, well, I'm the fourth generation Armenian, Armenian American. Why aren't second generation Armenian Americans doing this? I remember I, I had this resentment to the diaspora and over time uh, that faded because I began to realize that the steps that got me to move to Armenia weren't by accident, but almost by design to where I talked to my, when I talked to my parents about how I consider Armenia my home and not my birthplace of Pasadena my home, mm -hmm. I remind them that, well, what did you expect when you raised me in the way that you did? <laughs> you, you, you raised me to value Armenia and the Armenian cause. And I, was, I grew up believing that despite my uh, shortcomings in speaking the language and understanding and reading and writing Armenian in my heart and soul, I was raised to believe that the development of Armenia and the safety of the Armenian people is of paramount importance. You're actually, and, you're actually yeah, designed to eventually repatriate. Yeah. It's by design and there you go. Right. And, and I stopped resenting the diaspora because I, I realized that within the diaspora, we didn't have that conversation enough. We didn't have institutions set up and we don't have enough organizations or groups that are making repatriation and aspiration a, a real one, that something that you should be aspiring to in life. And I was raised that way. And I realized that we were not all raised that way, but that can change. In simple terms, you can change that. The amount of resources that we have in Armenian schools across the diaspora, what it is that's actually being taught there, 
And it's about not just the history of Armenia, but contemporary Armenian history and in particular culture. And what are the things that got that resentment to fade was I was working at the Tumo Center for Creative Technology. And I was one of a handful of native English language speakers. So when tours would happen to Tumo, they would bring the kids over to the music department, which is what I was managing back then with, 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 with the music team. You know, it's music's fun. It's attractive. We're going to bring the 16, 17, 18 year old kids to the music studio. But who were these 16, 17, 18 year old kids? They were from Armenian schools. And I learned something there because it's like, well, these kids are talking to me and asking me questions about what it's like living in Armenia. And I'm talking to them about my daily life there. And some of those, those 16, 17, 18 year old kids, well, they're 20 something year old, year olds now. And you know what they're doing? They're in Artsakh and sending gear to step. They were sending gear to step on a gift to sending gear to Artsakh during the war. They were raising money. They, they flew to Armenia as soon as they could and helped in any way that they can. They're on a daily basis now sacrificing a lot in their daily lives to help solve the problems that we have. And those are the people that were raised with a certain set of values. And they were taken to Armenia at the right time. And they learned about Armenia. And TUMO, institutions like TUMO, I mean, so the, these are institutions not just in one place. This has to be in the diaspora and in the homeland. You have to have these two points that can connect with one another. And I think there was this beautiful thing that I kept seeing uh, where kids from the diaspora would come and walk around this space and get to know this space for kids in the homeland. And in there, you're going to create a, something to aspire to. Well, this is something I want to be a part of because this isn't just something I read in, I, I'm reading in history books. This is a living, breathing project that I can be a part of. But, but don't you think uh, that we have this uh, classical approach of of Hayabahbanichum? Uh, you know, uh, the, there's a language, there's the there's reading and writing, and then there's a there's a part of history. Uh, you know, the typical Armenian genocide, and then we are slowly evolving. You know, we we are managing to to, to bring new aspects of the Armenian. Uh, culture and society uh, to, to to the diaspora. We are actually uh, doing a very good job, but it's not institutionalized. If we eventually want to, uh, you know, take repatriation to uh, to to a um, to an automatized level, to have at least people, for instance, um, uh, I think it was you who who gave me that idea that if uh, that instead of um, Instead of uh, uh, buying a uh, Mercedes child's uh, 16th birthday in our, in America, why don't they buy a piece of land in, in Armenia for, uh, for the same money? In order to do that, we have to have a generation ready that actually understands that potential of, of having land or, or, you know, anything. In, in the absolute sense, we have to uh, change uh, this, this, this classical approach. We have to start, you know, making people understand that there's more to Armenia than just that history and, 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 and stuff like that. Well, I think it's important on a first on, on an individual level to share the stories and the experiences of Armenians that actually entered into a communion with the homeland. And I like to use that term communion instead of repatriation for a number of reasons, because there are a good handful of Armenians like myself that spent a good many years in the homeland, living 
daily lives and are now splitting their time and treating and, and essentially being like beehives, you know, like we leave for a little bit, get our work done. And then, but our home, our hive is Armenia. We have to share these experiences. We have to, because they're successful. You know, Armenians like to pride themselves on, on how successful we are in whatever field that we, we go into. I mean, for goodness sake, an Armenian created one of the COVID-19 vaccines. You know, we're really good when we put our minds to something. And that's, that's uh, probably just ingrained in our culture. But we have, to share, I mean, we have to share these stories and experiences on an individual level because you make that attractive. And this is true for businesses too. There are examples of businessmen from the outside, Armenians, that have invested time, money, and resources into the homeland, and it's profitable for them. But they're not doing it for the sake of profit. They're not treating Armenia, and this is another part of this that's really important. They're not treating Armenia as an investment opportunity. They're treating it as a development opportunity because it's they're developing their home. And these are the stories that we want to share. And whether it's a, a businessman or an attorney or an artist and a poet, you, you share these experiences on an individual level and you make them attractive because then you're creating a, a real story of, of what we should be aspiring towards. Because I know that so many diaspora means that all these years, knowing my history with the homeland and how I've literally uprooted myself from the United States and my roots now are in Armenia, everyone looks at that and they think, a lot of people I talk to look at that and they think, I want to do that. And it becomes more real when, when they see that it's been done. You know, an average kid, 20-something years old, 21 years old, 22 years old, packs up and just moves to Armenia. It's doable. That, that needs to happen. On, we need to share those individual stories. Now, I think, and this is perhaps the naive guy in me, but I think when we do that, then we can start to build a consensus as a community. And from there, we start developing institutions and or helping institutions evolve to support that process. But we need the people on an individual basis to believe that first, that we as a community, this is our goal. And then we together, because I don't have the answer of how do we do this, but I think that the answer is in the process, that if we just talk about this and share this and, and help each other do it, like, you know, there's a Repatriates Network online and it's wonderful. I love, I love, my favorite thing is going on there and someone's like, guys, I'm looking for a bronze faucet for my bathroom, for my apartment on Almedia Street. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what, this is great. <laughs> this is what we need. And, and the Repats Network is really important. Um, Repat, Repat Armenia does this work. Birthright Armenia puts, puts, has put in a lot of legwork. We need more organizations, institutions doing this. I know that the AYF has been doing this. You know, we need to talk about these success stories. Yeah, because the in, core, right, the youth core is, is a perfect way to connect people to, to Artsakh. Uh, it's, it's, it's an amazing piece of, uh, uh, piece of what they're doing. It's... it's um, my, my wife has been on the youth court thing and 
it has connected her to Shushi like to an extent that was unimaginable to me. Sarajan, thank you for your time. Like always, you've been uh, you've been a very strong partner in crime in 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 uh, in, in uh, either leading a debate or uh, moderating or uh, or having a podcast. We should definitely do this more often, right? We should. We need to, uh, Sabujan. I think because our issues are foundational, and the only way you fix something like that is is talking with one another. Because it's it, that has to be the way. It, it's it, it has to be really long, complex. It can't be a simple answer. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah John. Uh, thanks a lot. Uh,